Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. church. Somebody had to preach a good uh, sermon this morning, so I have my friend Isabel Peters up here with me. She's going to read the text for us today. Mark 1, 16 through 20. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Thanks, Isabel. I just found a dime up here. I got a race. This is great. (laughs) Here you go, Jason. I found a nickel up there last service. No lie. Somebody put a dime up there. I'm expecting a dollar after this service, please. (laughs) Yeah, Steve says that's what I'm worth. Unbelievable. <laughs> Get no respect around here. Now for the sermon. <laughs> On May 22nd, 2011, our lives were interrupted. Uh, I grew up in southwest Missouri, right in the heart of Tornado Alley, so we've heard the tornado sirens lots, and most of the time they didn't amount to much, but this time was different. And on that Sunday evening at 5.41 p.m., an EF5 mile-wide tornado tore through my hometown of Joplin, Missouri, and left a path of carnage in its wake that would change our lives forever. And by the time it was all said and done, it was one of the costliest and deadliest tornadoes in history. 161 people died, well over 1,000 were injured, and in terms of dollars, it was the costliest tornado in U.S. history. Needless to say, our lives came to a screeching halt that day. And yet, despite the destruction, there were many wonderful things that happened. In the months that followed, we saw the Lord work in some incredible ways, and we actually got to have some fun things happen, too. President Obama came to town, and my little brother got to meet him. They spent some time just talking about his baseball team, and uh, my other little brother got captured in an iconic photograph and plastered all over the international news and published in a book, all kinds of stuff. As for me, I did not get my five minutes of fame from the tornado, but I did get something even better. Our house was not damaged in the storm, so when the storm happened, we were able to welcome a lot of people into our home who needed a place to stay. And in the weeks that followed, as the days went by, most of those people managed to find more permanent lodging, but one family hung around, the Ratliffs. And the Ratliff family lived with us for about four months while their home was being rebuilt. Now, you might remember, I'm the oldest of six kids. The Ratliff family has nine kids. So you're doing the math in your head. You're right. It felt like there were a thousand kids in our house that summer. I brought a picture for you here. I'm the one top left with the hair. Uh, 15 kids, 19 people, one house, one summer. Needless to say, it was a very loud summer. And I'm not going to tell you that sharing our home with the Ratliffs for four months was easy. It was the whole nine yards, crowded, sleeping on the floor, standing in line for the bathroom. And I am an introvert, so hospitality does not come naturally for me. I I really do like people at a distance. Like, I like you a lot right now, okay? (laughs) I didn't get that that summer. It, It just didn't happen. Hospitality wasn't easy, but it was really good. 
It's really good. And, and, and during those weeks, the Ratliffs and us, we became great friends. And one of them became like a little brother to me. He's, his name is Damon. He's about three rows down, the one with his mouth wide open. Um, and Damon and I became great friends. We're still good friends to this day. And, and, and shortly after this, my, one of my sisters, her name's Lydia, she was at a sleepover with some of her little buddies. And the girls are going around talking about what they collect. And so one girl says, oh, I collect stuffed animals. Another little girl says she collects coins. And they turn to Lydia and say, what about you, Lydia? What do you collect? She said, I collect brothers and sisters. <laughs> and she's right. The Ratliffs moved in as friends, but they moved out as family. And I'm really thankful that our lives got interrupted. In our text today, the lives of these four fishermen get interrupted. And it's been my prayer for this sermon that this text would interrupt your life too. Isabel read the story for us from Mark chapter one, but we also see this story in a couple other places, in Matthew chapter four and in Luke chapter five. And actually, when we piece together all three of those accounts, we get a little bit of a fuller picture of what happened on that day. You can imagine it. It's a warm day as the sun climbs high in the sky over the lake. Two sets of brothers are there on the shore cleaning their fishing nets. They've been out fishing all night, and normally you would fish at night because it's cooler at night. The fish come up closer to the surface. They're easier to catch, and that way when you catch them, they're still fresh to take to the market in the morning. But on this Galilean morning, there are no fish to sell because they fished all night without a nibble. And it wasn't the end of the world for them. They're not gonna starve. We see from the text, they actually have a thriving small business. They own a couple boats together, these two sets of brothers, and they even have some hired hands. They're doing okay. They make a decent living. But it's no fun when you don't catch any fish. So I imagine they're probably grumpy, tired, just wanting to get these nets clean and get home and take a nap. And then the text says, Jesus saw them. Now we already know that these four fishermen, these two sets of brothers, you have Simon Peter and his brother Andrew and James and his brother John. We know that these two sets of brothers have already met Jesus. This is not their first encounter with him. Their first encounter with him happens back in John chapter one, when a couple of the brothers are disciples of John the Baptist and, and they get introduced to Jesus and they introduce their brothers to Jesus and these two sets of brothers actually tag along with Jesus for a few months, the better part of a year. And when they tag along with Jesus, they see amazing things. They see Jesus get baptized and turn water into wine and talk with the woman at the well and, and cleanse the temple and, and, and all kinds of amazing things, healing Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And yet... Somewhere along the way, they left. They went back home to their fishing business and they let Jesus go on ahead without them. And yet here Jesus is again, reuniting with them. And when he does, he comes up and he asks Simon Peter for a ride in his boat. Peter says, okay. Jesus hops in, they shove out a little ways from the shore and Jesus spends the time there in the boat teaching the crowds that are lined up on the shoreline. The water and the shoreline would act kind of as a natural amphitheater to amplify his voice where the crowds could hear him. And Jesus teaches from the boat for a little bit and then he turns to Peter and all of a sudden he says, hey Peter, how about you shove out into the deep water? Drop your nets, let's see if we can catch something. Now, that's like me showing up at your workplace telling you how to do your job. Wouldn't go very well probably. And if I'm Peter in that moment, I'm thinking, look, Jesus, you're a great teacher, but stick to the spiritual stuff, man. I'm the fisherman. You might not know this, Jesus, but it's daytime. The sun's hot. The fish have gone way down deep, and, and, and they're not going to be easy to catch, Jesus. Besides, I've been out here all night fishing on this stinking lake, been all over it, haven't caught a single thing. I just got my nets clean. I'm tired. I want to go home and take a nap, Jesus. But that's not what Peter says. No. 
Oh, the, the text says, Peter says, well, you know, we've been fishing all night, haven't got a thing, but if you say it, Lord, I'll do it. And so he does, and Peter, Peter drops the nets, and man, just as soon as he does, the water starts to churn and splashing. There's fins flipping all over the place, and, and it, it, I mean, the, the nets are so full of fish. Peter's like, whoa, and then the, the nets start breaking. The boat starts to sink. He has to call for help. James and John, bring the other boat. Get over here. This is the catch of a lifetime. And if I'm Peter, looking at this, this is the mother load. I'm, I'm thinking, hey, hey, Jesus, how about you stick around? I think we could make a go of this thing, you and me. I think we could really get a corner on the Galilean fishing market. And just imagine that Jesus, a whole fleet of boats. And yet that's not what Peter does. When he realizes what's happening and he realizes who this is, the text says he falls to his knees. And Jesus says to him, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so Peter and his brother Andrew, they drop their nets. And they do. Mark chapter one, James and John, they also, they, they drop their nets and they follow Jesus. It says they left their father in the boat and they committed to a life of following him, going where he went, walking when he walked, stopping when he stopped, listening when he talked, obeying when he instructed, come follow me. And the call to them back then is the same call to us today. Come follow me, he says. And what is the result of our following him? Look at it. Mark chapter one, verse 17 says, and Jesus said to them, follow me. I like the way the English standard version says. He says, and I will make you become fishers of men. In other words, the result of us following Jesus is that he transforms us into something that we weren't before. He makes us fishers of men. And that's our mission. If you've been around here, I hope you've heard it over and over again. We see this all throughout the Bible, and it's phrased in different ways, but we see it in places like the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. We see it in places like Acts chapter one, right before Jesus ascends to heaven, he says to his followers, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is our mission, to be witnesses, to make disciples, to be fishers of men because this is the heart of God. First Timothy chapter two says, this is good and pleases God our savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. We have a God who is calling us to follow him and fish for people. So if you remember one thing I say this morning, remember this. If you're not fishing, then you're not really following. If you're not fishing, then you're not really following. Because all too often, if we're not careful, we can be like a group of fishermen who really like the idea of fishing, right? We come together every week and we talk about fishing and, and, and we build big fish tanks and we read books analyzing where the fish are and what kind of bait they like. And we hear stories of people who catch lots of fish and we watch fishing movies and buy fishing gear and go to fishing conferences and hang out with all our fishermen friends. But when's the last time you were really out on the lake? Casting a line reeling in a catch, getting your hands messy. 
I've heard it said before that there's around 100 people who die every minute without believing in Jesus. It's more than one every second. I heard a story of a game warden who caught wind that there was a guy named Jim who might be doing some illegal dynamite fishing out on the lake. And so the warden goes up and asks Jim about this. And Jim just says, well, why don't you, why don't you come out on the lake with me tomorrow? Well, I guess you can see if it's true or not. So the warden and Jim, they go fishing. The next day they're out on the lake. And sure enough, Jim reaches down into his tackle box, grabs out a stick of dynamite, lights it, chucks it in the water. Boom. Fish come bubbling up to the surface, and Jim's, I mean, he's just scooping them in by the armful. And the warden is upset about this. He yanks out his badge. Jim, that is illegal. You are under arrest. Jim, just real calmly, reaches down, pulls another stick of dynamite out of the tackle box, lights it, hands it to the warden, says, are you going to talk or are you going to fish? <laughs> and perhaps that's the question that we should ask this morning. Are we going to talk or are we going to fish? So for the rest of our time together this morning, I want to just look at three of the excuses that we sometimes give for not sharing our faith, and I want to work through them together. Does that sound all right? Okay, let's start. Excuse number one, I don't know someone who needs Jesus. The fact of the matter is, the longer that you are a Christian, odds are the less non-Christian people that you know. Some of you, when you hear this call to be fishers of men, you feel like you're looking out over a lake and you have no idea where the fish are. So here's the answer. Pray. Pray. This whole month for this series where we're talking about our mission, we have given you three challenges. Pray, give, and go. We want you to give financially to support God's mission here at Plainfield Christian Church. We want you to go have at least one intentional spiritual conversation with an unbeliever this month. But we started by challenging you to pray. And that was intentional. And Jesus tells us what to pray for here in Matthew chapter nine, verses 37 and 38. It says, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I have an alarm set on my phone for 9.38 a.m. I challenge you to set one too. And when my alarm goes off every day at 9.38 a.m., I pray that prayer. I ask the Lord to send out workers into the harvest field. If at 9.38 I'm playing with my little boys and that alarm goes off, I'll pray that God will make my boys workers in the harvest field. If the alarm goes off while I'm working on a sermon, I'll pray that God will make that sermon something that'll raise up more workers for the harvest field. If the alarm goes off when I'm in a meeting or in a conversation with one of you, then I'll pray that God will make you someone who will work in his harvest field. I'll challenge you to pray that prayer. Ask the Lord to send out more workers, more fishers of men. And if you pray that, I, I think I know what'll happen to you because it's happening to me. I think that as you pray that prayer, you will become the answer to your own prayer. That as you ask God to send out more people, to send out more workers in the harvest field, more fishers of men, you'll find out that he's actually sending you. And maybe you'll begin to have eyes to see. You'll begin to have eyes to see your neighbor across the street who doesn't know Jesus. And I hope you'll begin to pray for her. Maybe you'll pray for her prayers like the Apostle Paul prays in Colossians chapter four and Ephesians chapter six when he, he, he prays for open doors to share the gospel. He prays for clear words when he does try to share the gospel. He prays for a strong heart that won't give in to fear. And as you pray for people, as you pray that God would send you and send others out into the harvest field, I think you'll begin to see the interruptions in your life as divinely scheduled opportunities. 
And I think that you will discover that evangelism is actually really easy on a heart that has been prepared by God. Prayer is the key. So if you don't know somebody who needs Jesus, pray. I promise God will send you someone. But here's excuse number two that we sometimes use. I'm too busy. Because we're all busy, right? Our schedules are full. Life is fast-paced. We do our taxes with QuickBooks. We get money from Quicken Loans. We use a phone service called Sprint. We put our pictures on a thing called Instagram. We diet with SlimFast. We wear swimsuits called Speedo. Well, some people do. I don't. (laughs) We have fast food and fast lanes and high-speed Wi-Fi. And somebody once said that we are the only nation in the world with a mountain called Rushmore. (laughs) And the thing is, like true hospitality... Real relational evangelism is not a microwave thing. It's a crockpot thing. Fishing for people takes time. And so if you say, well, I'm too busy, then if this is a biblical command, then what you're really saying is, I'm too busy to be a Christian. So here's the answer. Rearrange your life. Answering God's call might mean that you have your daily schedule interrupted or even flipped on its head. Remember the story that in order for these fishermen to really follow Jesus, they had to drop their nets. They had to leave their business behind. That's a hard call, but it's one that they accepted. Right now in our church, we have at least four couples or individuals who are training to go to the foreign mission field, and that is so exciting. And I pray that more of you will decide to answer that call. But whether or not you're called to go across the ocean You are called to go across the street. You are called to walk across the room. You're called to rearrange your life rhythms so that you come in contact with people who need Jesus. You've heard this before. Our vision as a church is impacting homes by opening ours because we want to embody this kind of whole life hospitality that makes room where we open ourselves for the people that God places in our path so that we can love them well in his name. And honestly, it's pretty simple. It doesn't have to be that complicated. My wife tries to go to the same checkout aisle when she goes to Target to build a relationship with the cashier. Maybe this means that instead of just eating, work at your, eating lunch at your desk at work, you could spend your lunchtime eating lunch with a coworker and build a relationship there. Maybe you could ask your kid's teacher what you could pray for them this year. Maybe you could go have coffee with that old classmate you reconnected with on Facebook. Maybe you could offer to babysit for the young couple down the street who are drowning with young kids. And if if, if your picture of evangelism in your head is like interactions with strangers on street corners, I wanna tweak that a little bit. Because evangelism and sharing our faith and fishing for men happens primarily, first and foremost, with the people God's already placed in your life, with the people you're already around, the people who are close to you. So do your close friends know about your walk with the Lord? Do they know what it means and what it looks like for you to follow Jesus? Have you shared your story with them? Are you preaching the gospel to your kids? Are you you telling them the truths about God and who he is? Are you showing them what it looks like to try to live for Jesus? Are you having spiritual conversations with your spouse? Fishing for men starts with the people God's already placed in your life. So rearrange your rhythms to fish for men. Practically, a couple really simple ways that I'm trying to live this out. I moved my grill from my backyard to my front yard. So when the weather's nice and I'm out on the driveway grilling, it's a really natural opportunity to try to connect and have conversations with our neighbors. And I'm an introvert, remember, this is hard for me. It's not easy, it doesn't come naturally. But I've made a commitment recently that when I come home, if any of my neighbors are outside of their homes, I'm not gonna go into my house without first engaging them in conversation. It's real simple. 
Just rearrange your life to come in contact with people who need Jesus. Here's excuse number three, and this one's the biggie. I don't know what to say. Because it's intimidating, right? You might not know all the big words or the perfect Bible verses. What if they ask you a question that you can't answer? Well, remember our text. Notice that Jesus did not choose theological professionals to be his followers. He chose ordinary, everyday, blue-collar fishermen, average Joes. And if Jesus can use those guys to reach the world, I'm pretty sure he can reach you too. You're intelligent people. So here's the answer. Practice. Practice. First Peter chapter three says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So if we are commanded in scripture to be prepared, then that means that practically, we just need to practice. And specifically, there's four things that I want you to practice. Number one, practice listening. There's an author named Francis Schaeffer, and he was asked one time what he would do if he had an hour with an unbeliever. He said that he would listen for 55 minutes, and then in the last five minutes, he'd have something to say. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Practice listening. Number two, practice asking good questions. When Jesus was sharing with people, he didn't have this kind of prepackaged presentation that he gave them. No, he asked questions. He got to know them and understood how they tick. Jesus was curious about people, and we should be too, because good questions help people drop their guard, let their defenses down, makes them dig deep. Hey, tell me your story. Tell me what you love. What, 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 what's your faith history? Would you consider yourself a spiritual person? That's interesting. Tell, tell me how you reached that conclusion. How, how does that affect how you live on a day-to-day -day basis? Just ask good questions. The next thing is this, number three, practice sharing your story. I want you to be able to articulate what God has done and what he is currently doing in your life. It's really simple. Talk about what your life was like before you met Jesus. Talk about how Jesus saved you and talk about what your life is like now that you're following him. And number four, practice sharing God's truth. This is why home groups and equip you are so important because equip you is designed to help you articulate why you believe what you believe. And home groups are designed to help you grow in your ability to have these kinds of natural, organic, spiritual conversations. So practice. But the bottom line is this, just say something. Don't say nothing. Because we could talk about this together all day, but if we don't actually do it, it doesn't matter. Say something. And I understand that it's intimidating. I understand that it's scary, but it, it doesn't have to be complicated. It could be as simple as saying to your waitress, hey, we're getting ready to pray for this meal. Is there anything I can pray for you? And, and yeah, that's, that's scary. It is. But if you wait till you're 100% ready, then you'll never have that conversation. At some point, we just have to decide to have the courage and the faith to drop our nets and answer the call. There's an author named John Ortberg, and he tells a story about a guy named Jeffrey Cotter. And Jeffrey Cotter had the courage to drop his nets and answer the call. He took the risk on one unforgettable plane ride. Jeffrey Cotter's a pastor, and he was returning from a job interview one time. He hopped on an airplane. He's just wearing blue jeans and stuff, and he realized, oh, man, he's, he's, he's sitting next to what looks like a very important businessman. This guy's just decked to the nines, you know, pinstripe suit, briefcase, reading the Wall Street Journal, the whole nine yards, Okay. And so Jeffrey Cotter made a point, I'm not going to engage this guy in conversation, especially don't want to talk about careers. But that option was lost pretty quickly when the guy started to talk. And the guy mentioned that he was in what he called the, the figure salon business. He spoke about how they could change a woman's self-concept by changing her body. And he talked about his excitement about the power and the significance of what he did. And Jeffrey Cotter was struck by this man's pride 
in his work and in his accomplishments. And he wondered, why, why are Christians more like that? Why are we so often apologetic about our faith? And Jeffrey Cotter realized that during the whole flight, he had just been in avoidance mode. And the businessman looked kind of skeptically at Jeffrey Cotter's clothing and Mr. MBA over here asked Jeffrey about his line of work and I'll let Mr. Cotter tell it from here. He says, the spirit began to brood over the face of the deep. Order and power emerged from chaos. A voice in a whisper reminded me, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Oh, you're in the, it's interesting that we have similar business interests. You're in the body changing business. I'm in the personality changing business, I said. Uh, we apply basic theocratic principles to accomplish indigenous personality modification. <laughs> he was hooked, but I knew he would never admit it. Pride is a powerful thing, you know. I, I've, I've heard of that, he replied hesitantly. But, but do you have an office here in the city? Oh, we have, we have many offices. We have offices up and down the whole state. In fact, we're national. We have at least one office in every state of the union, including Alaska and Hawaii. He had this puzzled look on his face. He was searching his mind to try to identify this huge company that he must have heard or read about somewhere, perhaps in his Wall Street Journal. Uh, as, as a matter of fact, I said, we, we've gone international. And management has a plan to put at least one office in every country in the world by the end of this business era. Do you have that in your business? <laughs> Well, no, not yet, he answered. But you mentioned management. How do they make it work? Oh, it's a family concern, I said. There's a father and a son, and, and they run everything. <laughs> Must take a lot of capital, he asked skeptically. Oh, you mean money, I asked. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. No one knows just how much it takes, but we never worry because there's never a shortage. The boss always seems to have just enough. He's a very creative guy. And the money, it's just there. In fact, uh, those of us in the organization, we have a saying about our boss, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. <laughs> oh, he's into ranching too, asked my captive friend. <laughs> no, no, it's just a saying that we use to indicate his wealth. My friend sat back in his seat. Well, what about, what about you, he asked, the, the employees? Oh, there's something to see, I said. They, they have a, a spirit that pervades the organization. It works like this. The father and the son love each other so much that their love just filters down through the whole company so that we all find ourselves loving each other too. And I know this sounds old-fashioned in a world like ours, but I have people in my organization who are willing to die for me. Do you have that in your business? <laughs> I was almost shouting now. People were starting to shift noticeably in their seats. Uh, not yet, he said, quickly changing strategies, he asked, but, but do you have good benefits? Oh, they're substantial, I countered with a gleam. I have complete life insurance, fire insurance, all the basics. You might not actually believe this, but it's true. I have holdings right now in a mansion that is being built for me for my retirement. <laughs> Do you have that in your business? <laughs> not yet, he answered wistfully, but the light was beginning to dawn. You know, one thing bothers me, he said. I, I've read journals, and if your business is really all that you say it is, how come I haven't heard about it before now? Good question, I said. After all, we have a 2,000-year-old tradition. Want to sign up? He says, and we became much more than casual acquaintances during those next five minutes. That's a great story, right? And, and, and if you're anything like me, maybe your reaction when you hear a story like that is, yeah, that's fine and good, wonderful, but I can't do that. I can't, I can't come up with words like that. Are you kidding me? But the bottom line is, say something. 
and trust the Lord to plant the seeds and bring fruit. Say something. Jeffrey Cotter could have seen an interruption, but instead he saw a divinely scheduled opportunity. Say something. And I'm confident that when you do, you will discover like I have that walking with someone to the Lord is one of the greatest joys in life. I remember the first time for me, it was Damon Ratliff. After the Ratliff family moved in during the tornado, Damon and I became good friends. And in the years to follow, Damon's life had its ups and downs. He had family trouble, money trouble, girl trouble, typical teenage stuff. And even though through it all, Damon never took Jesus really seriously, but we remained friends. And then one time, Damon decided to go with us on a mission trip to Haiti. And that week, Damon was confronted with poverty and brokenness like he had never seen before. And God started to do a work on Damon's heart. We had a lot of conversations. And then at the end of the week, late one night, we're sitting on the beach together and Damon decided that it was time. He was ready to give his life to Jesus. And so the next morning, we woke up early and we went back down to the beach. And lo and behold, there were some fishermen. I brought a picture and we sat there for an hour or so and watched these fishermen doing their work, dropping their nets and dragging them and slowly, slowly, slowly bringing them in. And as they brought in the catch that morning, the Lord was doing the same thing. And I got to baptize Damon right there. It was one of the greatest joys of my life. And I pray that it is a joy that you will get to experience too. Because to follow Jesus is to fish for people and if you're not fishing, then you're not really following. So I'm done now. The sermon's over. But before I go, I just want to ask you one question. You going to talk or are you going to fish? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have called us to follow you. It's really fun. And yet, Lord, I'm well acquainted with my own fear and all of the things and the excuses that I make that try to stop me from sharing this good news that we found. We want to be a church, Lord, that can say honestly that we are not ashamed of your gospel. So make us that, Lord. Give us opportunities as we give every one of us a divinely scheduled appointment with someone who needs to hear the truth about you give us the courage to speak but I also recognize Lord that you can't share what you don't have so if there are those in this room right now Father who have not yet answered the first call to follow you then I pray that you would impress upon them the reality of your existence and your movement I pray that you would convict them that their sin has separated them from you and I pray that you would remind them and that you would call them and that through faith in the blood of your son who has stood in the gap, who has taken our place and borne the penalty and the punishment for our sin, they can have life and joy and forgiveness and freedom because he is alive. If there's those today, God, who need to put faith in your son, I pray you pull them in. We love you so much. And in this time, we, we, we love taking the bread and the cup to praise you for your death and resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. 
If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.